Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So, a lot of you have heard this story before that I've shared. My first car was a black Jeep Wrangler. It had a soft top, it had a hard top, it was black, mud tires. I loved that car so much. First car after uni, you know, I was 24 or something, bought this car. Thought I had it made, loved this car. Bought it off carsales.com. Um, got a personal loan out of the bank that I could afford to pay. Should have really got a car loan, but already had a personal loan. I just topped it up. Little did I know, the guy that I bought this car off hadn't paid his loan off. So this guy's name was Angel. Unbelievable. (laughs) Well, there were a few things wrong with the car. Nothing major when when we got it. My mate said, we need to get that checked out. So Angel, in his generosity, said, let's meet again, take it to the mechanics. We got things fixed up. He took us out for lunch. He was just shouting us. I'd given him 25 grand, like cash. He wanted cash, so I gave him cash. Little do I know he's using that money to shout me lunch. Saw him another time. He took us to a penthouse or something that, you know, he had access to. I'm like, this is a good man. Just those couple of times. Maybe six months later, he calls me out. He's like, oh, man, do you want to sell your car back to me? I'm like, what do you mean? I, you know, I gave you a good deal, you know. I just thought you might be wanting to sell it. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to sell my car. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, that's fine. Maybe another six months later, he calls me and says, mate, there's actually a payment owing on the car I didn't tell you about. I'm like, dude, who cares? It's my car. It's in my name. He's like, oh, I just thought I'd just let you know. I'm like, oh, cool. Another three months go by. He calls me. He's like, there's still money owing on that car. Like, we need to meet up. I'm thinking, what is this guy talking about? I'm out at dinner. I'm having a great time. I get home, my mate's dropping me off at home, but I'd park my car on, like, close to the tram, maybe about 500 metres from home, because I was just trying to rush to work, so I'd park close to the tram, jump on the tram. The car's not there. Oh, maybe I didn't park there. Maybe I left it at home. It was a little closed. I thought I was just parked there. Let's go home. My car's not there. What? The car's been stolen. Literally, I thought the car had been stolen. That's how oblivious I was to, um, to this guy and what he was saying. It just didn't make sense to me. We go to the police. Car's been stolen. We're reporting it. Nah, there's no record of that. We'll let you know if we find who's stolen your car, if it comes up. Thanks, guys. I'm with a mate of mine. He drops me off. He's like, bro, don't stress, mate. Like, at least you got your health. And this guy's been through a lot with his health, so he's, he just knows what's most important. It's like, it's just your car, bro. For me, it was the biggest thing. At this point, I think the car's been stolen. You know, I'm just like having some time with God before I go to bed. I get a call from the cops. Oh, hey, your car's been taken by Macquarie Bank. It's been repossessed. Uh, there's nothing we can do for you. Talk to Macquarie Bank. Long story short, there's nothing I could do. That was his bank. I had my bank. I started to pay off my bank loan. Met up with him the next day. He's like, I was trying to tell you. 
he gave me a few, maybe a couple of thousand. There's like, there was still about 24 grand that, you know, he still owed me. He goes, I will just pay you slowly, slowly. I just got no money. Talk to the people I work with then. They were all lawyers. They're like, this is a civil matter. There's not much you can do. You can maybe take him to VCAT. So try to get money off him. Sometimes he'd pay $100. Sometimes he'd not pay anything. Ended up taking him to VCAT. VCAT enforced, you know, an order on him that he should pay me all this money with interest over the next 24 months or something. He made the first payment. Long story short, I ended up just going, you know what? Lesson learned. <laughs> Lost 25 grand. Half of my wage was going to something I didn't own for four years. And, you know, it was a mistake that I made, didn't know, because I had been an international student. Uh, I was pretty gutted. But throughout that time, I had mates would lend me their cars. I had a good mate of mine. I used his car for a couple of years. People used to give me lifts. Made me appreciate so much. But even the consequence of that mistake and the betrayal of this guy, it led to me getting married and taking debt into my marriage. So my wife had to go through that with me. I was really gutted. One of the hardest things I've had to go through. But God was faithful through that whole time because I was still able to pay it off. I still had access to cars, but I learned so much through it. Have you guys ever been through a situation where you've lost something? Yes. You know, maybe you lost something, someone's stolen something from you, something's been taken away from you. You've tried to get it back, maybe you never got it back, but through the process, you suffered. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe you went through a battle, maybe for your children, maybe a custody battle. We've all gone through suffering, haven't we? We all go through suffering. But in that time of suffering, whether it was a relationship you lost, whether it was a material thing, like we, we can't compare our suffering to anyone else's suffering. Everyone goes through different things and you can't belittle someone else's thing. Oh, how can, how can you think that's tough? Like everyone goes through different things. But the question actually is who was with you in the suffering? Who was with you in the suffering? When we go through, <clears throat> through these things, there's people that will be there with you and there'll be people that are just not even with you. Some people will actually just distance themselves in what you're going through. Or some people will actually be with you. But who has been with you in times of suffering? And who will be with you in times of suffering in the future? So I think you can see up the title on the screen is who is with you in suffering. The story we're going to look at today in the Bible is found in 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel not chapter 2, just seeing if you guys are awake. It actually goes over four chapters, the story we're going to look at today. It's 2 Samuel chapter 15 to 18. It's four chapters. I'm not going to go through all those chapters. I'm going to do a bit of summarizing. There's going to be a few somersaults up and back here and there. I'm just going to be going everywhere. So you guys are going to have to stay with me today. This is going to be a bit different today. So stay with me. If you get a little bit lost, don't stress, just write notes. Those four chapters, look at them by yourself during the week. I encourage you to go back and look at it during the week. But what is actually happening in the story, we'll start 
2 Samuel 15.25, and I'll just read this out. You don't have to go and look at this unless you, you can see in your Bible, read it. It says, this is verse 25 of 15. The king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. So this is King David talking to his priests. He's actually on the run. And they have the ark of God with them, which represented the presence of God. And they're on the run, and he says to his priests, guys, take the ark of God back. Because it's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Take it back there. And if God will have favor on me, he will bring me back there. But this is King David, the guy that defeated Goliath. He's on the run. He's not running from Saul this time. He's actually running from his own son. Imagine that. A dad running from their own son. His son is actually trying to kill him. His son is trying to take over the kingdom. But how is that possible when this is David, a man after God's own heart? And now he's on the run. His son is trying to kill him. Well, let's go back to where it all started. Some of you might know the story. Some of you might not. But King David messed up. He messed up big time. He was God's chosen one. He got comfortable. The rest of his men were out in battle. He decided to stay at home and not go to the war. And then he sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, having a bath up on the roof. And he commits adultery. He takes her for himself. He commits adultery and then he tries to hide it. Because what happens, she actually has a baby. She gets pregnant. Husbands at war, Uriah. The story, as most of you know it, is he tries, David tries to hide it as much as he can. He struggles to hide it because Uriah was such a good man. Check out the story for yourself. But it leads to David actually killing, having Uriah killed. So David now has committed adultery. He slept with someone else's wife. And now he's committed murder. So he's just messed up big time. And for those sins under the law, he deserved to die. That was to be his punishment. And now we're seeing him now. He's on the run. Now check this out. David has killed someone. He's committed adultery. But then he's repentant. He realizes what he's done. The prophet Nathan approaches him. And in chapter 12, 10 to 11, you can just write it down. You don't have to go to this because I told you we're going to be somersaulting around the word. Nathan approaches him. And what we're seeing, this thing of him being on the run from his son, it's actually part of the consequences that God allowed to happen to him because of what he had done in sleeping with this lady and in killing. So Nathan says, so David's like, I'm sorry, Lord, I've done the wrong thing. And then Nathan says to him, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So he's repentant. God forgives him. but says this, 
other things is still going to happen in your family. So God forgave David, but he did not cancel the consequences of his sin. His first son actually dies at birth. David's first son, so Bathsheba was pregnant. First son dies at birth. His second son is killed by his third son. His second son's name was Amnon. Amnon goes on to sleep with his stepsister, but he actually rapes her. Absalom, who was the brother, stepbrother of Amnon, is like, dude, what are you doing? Just like you and I would say. You'd be outraged. But David, he kind of knows this is all part of my doing. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't do anything about it. There's this battle going in his family. There's incest happening. There's rape happening. So for two years, Absalom was the other brother. He's thinking, Dad, what are you doing? You've done nothing about it. So two years later, he kills David's second son, his own brother, because Dad had done nothing about it. And then he flees the land and goes to a foreign land called Gersha. He goes there for four years. We don't, David does nothing about it. He's not happy with his son. He's killed his son. But what we're seeing here is a repetition of the father's sins. Like, David committed adultery. Then his son Amnon goes and rapes his sister. And then his other son goes and rapes his brother. Can you see there's like this cycle happening? Absalom is away for four years, but he makes his way back to Israel. He talks to some of David's leaders. He sweet talks his way back. And then what he starts doing, David hears his back, but he doesn't pay much attention to it. But he starts sweet talking out not only his father's army and leaders, he starts sweet talking the people of Israel. They would come up to the gate of the city and what Absalom would do as people would come, he'd say, oh, hey, what's happening in your life? Oh, you've got some... that's injustice. When I come into power, I'm going to look after you. He would literally kiss their hands and he was getting favour with them. And then what happens is Absalom keeps working on this. He even gets, he, he starts to act like he's a judge and a ruler. He gets himself 50 men. He gets himself a chariot. He gets himself horses. And as I said, he steals people's hearts. And as he's doing all this, he's ready to take over his father's kingdom because he wasn't happy with his dad. And he probably thinks, I'm going to be king one day. I might as well do it now. But David was the chosen one for now. So he says to his dad, hey, dad, I made a promise. He lies to his dad. I made a promise, a vow to God when I'd fled that I would go back to Hebron to to worship him. David goes, all right, go for it. Whilst David thinks he's going for it, he's getting everyone on his side. Let's just check out the story in um, 2 Samuel 15, 10 to 18. We'll just read that out. It's crazy. Imagine that, a son taking over the father's kingdom. So chapter 15, verse 10 says, Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counsellor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. 
A messenger told David, the heart of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord, the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him. But he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So these concubines were mistresses of David. He had wives, but concubines were actually lower than the wives. They were mistresses. Don't ask me what he was doing. That was not God's intention to have so many women, but this is just part of the story. I don't have any concubines myself. Verse 17. So the king sets out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. All his men marched past him, along with the Kerathites and Pelatites, and all 600 Gittites who accompanied him from Gath marched along before the king. So we can see support is building for Absalom, and he's taking over from his dad. And not long after, this is where we see that point where David... As he's on the run, he says to his priests, take the ark back. Because he knew if he kept the ark, God's presence, he was almost taking things into his own hands. But he knew why he he was in the situation because of what he had done wrong, why this was happening with his son. He says, "Take, take the ark back. He humbled himself. He surrendered himself to the Lord. He didn't want Jerusalem, the city, to be destroyed because he knew if he stayed and had a war, the people would be destroyed, the city would be destroyed. So he decided to flee. So what I want us to do as we continue to go through the story, you guys still with me? We want to see as we look at the story, so who was actually with Absalom in his rebellion and who was with David in his suffering? We just want to have a look at that. Who was with David in his suffering and who was with Absalom in his rebellion? Who was with Absalom? So we just read those few verses. Chapter 15, verse 11 tells us that Absalom invited 200 men as guests to go with him to Hebron. And they went in their innocence and they knew nothing. So he's got 200 men with him. It says the conspiracy grew and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And then a message goes to David and says, the heart of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Israel as a nation was rebelling against its king. This is who was with Absalom. But who was with David? We heard it. All of David's household, except for his 10 concubines, went with him. We also hear that there was the Cherethites, the Gittites, the Pelatites. They were recent joiners to David. They were all foreigners who had just joined him before all this had happened. They'd come from a poor background, broken background. They'd come and join forces with David. Now David's on the run. He's like, what are you doing? Don't come with me. Stay in this good place and you know, follow Absalom. But David, but Etai the Gittite says this to him. He says, as the Lord lives, in verse 21, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, wherever the Lord the King shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. He was so loyal, Gita, I mean, Etai the Gittite. People were being so loyal to David. 
this loyalty was like that of Ruth to Naomi in the Bible, if you know that story, where Ruth goes to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. They were so loyal. It's when you're in trouble, when you go through suffering, that you really, really realise who are your true friends, who's your family, who's for you. That's when you really realise, and this is where David was. And people, he thought these were just new friends. They stuck with him. Who was with David? In verse 23, it says, All the land wept aloud. All the land wept aloud. Many people were on David's side for all the land to be weeping aloud. They were all on his side. But he didn't want the city to be destroyed, so he runs. Even his priests came with him, Abiathar and Zadok and all the Levites. They were all coming with him. Who was with David? I love in verse 31, it says this. And it was told to David, I hit the fowl is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So Ahithophel was actually a counselor to David, an advisor, but he hears news that Ahithophel has gone to support your son who's rebelling. And David prays, Lord, would you confuse, would you defeat the counsel of, of Ahithophel? David praying, this prayer shows us that he was dependent on God, that God was with him. God had not rejected David. Years before, God rejected King Saul. But God here had not rejected David. David was being temporarily punished as per what the Lord's covenant with David said. In 2 Samuel 7, 14-15, God says this to him. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. So who was with David? The Lord. The Lord was with David. So David's just prayed that prayer. Lord, would you confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. What then happens just after that is David is now going up the Mount of Olives with all his people. And then one of his people comes out of nowhere. His name was Hushai the Archite. You guys are like, where do you get this stuff from? It's there in the Bible. Check out Second Samuel. Hushai the Archite rocks up. Hey, David, I want to give you counsel. I want to give you advice. I want to be your guy. And David goes, no, I don't, want, I don't want to be a burden to you. But actually, because you're so wise and you've been a counselor to me before, I want you to go back and I want you to be a spy. I want you to go and confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. So he sends him. So he's just prayed, God, could you confuse Ahithophel's counsel? Then Husha the Archite rocks up and then David sends him to be a spy. So David's got people on his side. He's got the Lord. He's got Husha the Archite. But who was with Absalom? There's more. It keeps building. So we've just talked about Ahithophel. Ahithophel was actually Bathsheba's grandfather. So he was family to David now. But he betrays David and he goes with Absalom. And this is what Ahithophel does to show you how much he was in support of Absalom. 
15.21 says, Ahithophel told Absalom to go. He, go, he says, go into your father's concubines who he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, go and sleep with those 10 concubines, your father's concubines. Go and sleep with them in broad daylight so people will know that you are king. This is what Ahithophel is saying to him. And so this Absalom did, fulfilling what Nathan had prophesied. This was part of the prophecy from Nathan. That time when Nathan was talking about to David, this is what's going to happen to your family. In 2 Samuel 12, 12, this is what Nathan says. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in, in the sight of this son. It was against the Lord to sleep with your father's wife. You see that in Leviticus. So Ahithophel was with Absalom. All the elders of Israel were here. They were all for Absalom. But one person who was not with Absalom was the Lord. The Lord was not with Absalom. 2 Samuel 17, 14 says this. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. So there's been a bit of a battle. Ahithophel has been giving King Absalom, king, not really king, giving him advice. And they were like, this is good, this is good. And Hushai, who was a spy, is just listening in, waiting for the right moment. Absalom goes with that advice. He sleeps with the concubines. But then there comes a time where Absalom is actually asking his counselors, how should I pursue King David? How should we go as an army? How should we fight? And Ahithophel gives advice. But then Absalom goes, what about you, Hushai? He thinks Hushai is good to him. Because what do you think? And Hushai says something totally different. And Absalom goes, and his men goes, that's what we will do. But how this shows us that the Lord was not with Absalom is, comes from this. It says, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the counsel, the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. The Lord wanted to bring harm upon Absalom because he was messing with his chosen one. The Lord was not with Absalom. Even Ahithophel himself, who was now counseling Absalom, after he sees that his counsel is not going anywhere, it's been rejected, do you know what he does? He goes off by himself. Now he's suffering. Who's with him in the suffering? No one. He goes off by himself. And he actually puts everything in his life in order, and then he hangs himself. That was Ahithophel. That's what happens to him. Who was with Absalom? Who was with David? You guys still with me? There's a lot in there, a lot of somersaulting around, bit of ninja like my son. Who was with David? The Lord was with David. But there's more people. I got more to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So. Now Absalom is chasing his dad with his army and his dad knows he's coming. And on his journey, he comes across other foreigners who give him bread, they give him wheat, they give him barley, they just provide for them. So there was even more foreigners that are with David 
So he continues to be just led by God. But then his own troops that were with him, there's so much for David that they say, hey, in this battle, as Absalom and his army come, we don't want you to come and fight. We want your life to be preserved. We want you to be protected. So the troops were with David. And David said, cool, go for it. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 18, 5 to 15. Welcome to Bible study this morning. 2 Samuel 18, 5 to 15. It says, And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Etai. So this is King David. He says to his people, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. David saying, As you're fighting with my son and his army, deal gently with him for my sake. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Did you catch that? The battle spread over the face of all the country and the forest devoured more people that day than that of the sword. In verse 9, and Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? He's saying, We've got him. Kill him. But this guy remembers what David said. Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Job, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Etai, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I dealt treacherously against his life and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste my time like this with you. Like Joab was so close to the king. He loved the king so much that he was like, I'm going to kill that son because of what he's doing. And he wasn't listening to what the king had said because the king loved his son so much. So he goes, I would have not wasted any time. So what does he do in verse 14? He takes three javelins in his hand and thrusts them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And the ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Who was with David? I know we're all thinking of Absalom now because it's a sad way to die. But who was with David? The forest. Nature was on his side. The battle spread over the face of all the country and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Even the forest was on David's side. After Absalom dies, we see in 1818, it says that, all Israel fled. Because it gets confusing, like, but I thought Israel were like 
David's people, but they were now Absalom's people, but they all flee once Absalom dies. No one's carrying on Absalom's cause anymore. They're just like, he's gone, we're out. They're freaking out. And Absalom in his lifetime had actually taken and set up for himself a pillar in the king's valley because he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. So he called that pillar by his own name. He didn't have any children. He was left with nothing. He dies, no legacy. Who was with Absalom? No one. Everyone flees. But what gets me is through all this rebellion of Absalom the whole time, David's heart was with him. The father's heart never left his son. The son was trying to kill his dad. He slept with his concubines. He wanted his father dead. He wanted his kingdom. But David's heart was with him all the time. But Absalom was not open to it. David would have forgiven him. He would have forgiven him. So we actually see that finally as David finds out that his son has actually been killed, there's a whole story to how he finds out. Read it for yourself. It's pretty amazing. But when he finds out that his son has been killed, he had said to his army, to his people, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. When he finds out, this is what it says. 2 Samuel 18.33. And the king was deeply moved. Imagine that. He's been on the run from his son. His son's been killing his people. His son wants to kill him, but now his son is dead. He says, and the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. You think he'd be like, oh, what a relief. He's gone, but no, he's grieving. He says, and as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son. My son. There's a threefold repetition in there of Absalom, Absalom, Absalom. He says it three times. He says, My son, five times. And when I think of those repetitions, the grief and the anguish that the father David is feeling, I'm reminded of Jesus' anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. We heard about it in communion today. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. When I hear those cries, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son, Absalom, Absalom, I'm reminded of the grief and the abandonment that Jesus felt on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered and he surrendered himself to the Father's will by his death on the cross. You know, Jesus himself was betrayed in a similar way to how David was betrayed by some of his own. Ahithophel betrayed David. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. 
Do you know what those two have in common? Judas and Ahithophel? Betrayal is one thing, but they both hung themselves. In the New Testament, you see when Judas realized what he'd done to Jesus, he hangs himself. When Ahithophel, when his counsel was no good and there was no victory, he hung himself. Many people turned on David. Many people turned on Jesus. And David's love for Absalom parallels God's love for us. David's love for Absalom parallels God's love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, even whilst we're yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Like David was willing to die instead of his own son. His son was going for him. His son was rebelling against him, but he was willing to die. This story points us to God's mission of restoration. That if we're willing to turn to God, he will forgive us. He will, he will be with us through the consequences, all for his purposes and will, not our will. Even though we rebel against God, even though we rebel against God, his heart, his heart is always for us. He doesn't give up on us. He still grieves. He still grieves for us. He's jealous for us. Why do we go through suffering? It all goes back to the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Back to sin. There's still consequences. God forgives us, but there's still consequences. Even though God forgives us, there's still consequences. But through it all, through all the consequences, through all the suffering, if we are faithful, and surrendered to God. Look at David. He messed up big time. And he still went through some of the consequences. But he surrendered himself to God. God is with us in our suffering. He answers our prayer. He shows us favor. He restores us. And he will be glorified. You know, rebellion, continual rebellion, we see with Absalom, he continued to rebel and rebel against his dad. And that led to death. We've all rebelled. We look at rebellion and go, oh, that's a big word. I, I haven't rebelled against God. Who are you preaching to here? Everyone's saved. We can all relate to Absalom because rebellion is just us rejecting what God wants, rejecting what God has for us. We reject what God wants for us, his will for us, so that we can satisfy our own individual desires our own will that is rebellion we try and make things happen like Absalom it was his call to be king but he tried to run ahead we can all relate to that but repentance surrender and trusting in God is that gift that leads to eternal life and a relationship with God not of our own works even David himself he was a man after God's own heart but he couldn't live a squeaky clean life. Only God can make a way for us. But he doesn't take away the consequences. See, I'm not trying to say God wants to punish us. 
that consequence is punishment. God actually uses consequences to keep us close to him, for us to depend on him. He's the one who is with us in suffering. In God's sovereignty, he doesn't take the consequences away. The consequences are not, they are not, they are not a payment for our salvation. We all know what consequences we go through or we've gone through because of decisions, mistakes that we've made or things other people have done. What are we to do with those consequences? We're to be like David. Walk as one who has been forgiven. We've been forgiven. We humble ourselves and we rely on him. You know, for me, I made that mistake. You know, I, I do worse things than make that financial mistake. But that's just one of the examples that I have where I know it led to a lot of suffering for me. And I had to live through the consequences of that. But when I bought that car, God could have stopped that. Man, I was on fire for God. It's like, God, what happened there? Like, I was like, thank you, Jesus. You answered my prayer. I've got the car. God could have brought the car back. But there were greater lessons of trusting him, of depending on him that I got to learn because through all those consequences of my mistake, through all the suffering and the pain that I went through because of someone else's betrayal, someone else's deception, but God was with me through that suffering. The one who we run to, the one who you run to in the suffering is the one who is with you in the suffering. Who do you run to? What do you run to when you're going through tough times? When you're suffering? The one who you run to in the sufferings, the one who is with you. Who was with David? Who was with Absalom? You see, this story that we've jumped around today, somersaulting around the story, this story is actually about a father and a son who had so much in common. So much in common. They were both sinful. They were both guilty. But there was one thing that set them apart. And that one thing was who was with them. That's what set them apart. So we're to run to God. Maybe you're going through something right now. Currently, put your trust in God, just like David. No matter the consequences you might be facing, run to God. No matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much you've messed up, run to God. Surrender yourself to Him again and let Him Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. 
Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.